0: Hello and welcome, I'm Jill Martin, host of the Morning Bell podcast. Joining us on the podcast is Kate Mildenhall. Kate is the author of Skylarking, her debut novel. She is a writer and education project officer who works at the State Library of Victoria and is studying part-time at RMIT University in the Associate Degree of Professional Writing and Editing. As a teacher, she has worked in schools at RMIT University and has volunteered with teachers across borders in Cambodia. She lives with her husband and two young daughters in Hurstbridge, Victoria. On today's podcast, in the media section, we chat about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, Suicide Squad and the BFG. For the topic, we chat about the reason of why we write and what we choose to emphasize in our writing. If you have any questions, don't hesitate in contacting me at the email address mailbox at com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening.
1: Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. My name is Joel Martin, and today we're at the Brunswick Street Bookstore, as mostly usual, and we have Luke back on the podcast. Is mostly usual a word, Luke? I'm, I mean, it's two words, but I'm not sure... Are they words used together, commonly? No, okay, but what, I
2: don't know. Have have you have you been in a different place since I've been gone or something? I, I don't know. Well, you have. You went. No, have to... Have you been in a different different
1: different locations? The podcast. Oh uh, no, we just we jet-setted last <laughs> week and came back just for you, Luke. Uh, yeah, Where did yeah. you go? I heard there was snow involved.
2: There was snow involved up in the mountains of whatever range that is. Might be the Arrow Ranges. Might be some other range. Where'd you go? Buller. Huh, Buller? Yeah. What what range is that? Mountain ranges. Some alpine range of Australia.
1: hmm <laughs> Ranges which have snow in them.
2: Yeah. And Apparently, they're not it? quite as snowy anymore. So, we got there on, like on the last good oh, day. Oh, really? For it. <laughs> they did a snowstormish sort of thing while we were there. So, that was nice. Oh, that's cool.
1: Did you do what? Like snowboarding, skiing, hiking? Hiking. Yeah, hiking. hiking. It's cool.
2: There's a lot of money involved. It's quite fascinating to see how insanely expensive it is for Australians to see snow.
1: Oh Oh, I <laughs> thought... I thought you meant there's a lot of money involved in going hiking in the snow. Like, where'd you find a gold mine or something? (laughs) That'd be cool. I mean, that would be the opposite. That'd be nice. Prospecting. (laughs) (laughs) You're bringing it back. But it's so so nice
2: and calm up there. I can just see why. Anytime I go somewhere that peaceful, I just see why artists love peaceful places. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I Um, always knew it, but you you just go there and you just feel it. You just stop and everything else is stopped too.
1: Is there a lot of solitude there? Was there a lot of people with you doing the hike?
2: And uh, During the hike, that was completely empty. Cool. We saw snow sled dog teams, which was Ooh. fascinating. I've never seen never one of those ever seen life. them. I even got a video of them. They're so weird. You don't expect to walk into that in Australia. You think, you, I, have I hiked all the way up to Alaska or something? Yeah.
1: Did you ride one of the dogs? Oh, no, not no. That's how it no. works, brother. <laughs> It's like something I'll like ride that, the sled? right? No,
2: nah, nah, it wasn't. Uh, it was some kind of ex- expedition tour thing that I didn't...
1: Weren't part of, but yeah, got to see it. I saw a child riding a Labrador once. In the snow? Does that count? No. Okay. A head is really Not bad <laughs> for their back. <laughs> for a dog's back. The kid or the dog? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm well, sure kid, it's pretty the bad. The dog, dog, obviously, Luke. <laughs> anyway, uh, glad to have you back from the snow. It's good to have you back. Um... We have a guest, as we always do, Kate Meldenhall. Welcome to the podcast.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: Fantastic. Did you go skiing in the last week?
3: I did not go snea- skiing. I did take our children to the snow because oh? they haven't seen snow. Oh, ever? Oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. So we, we only got to a car nice. park at Donabue uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it was fun. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was fun. There was enough snow to throw some snowballs. Uh-huh. At each other and get really cold because clearly we're not we're not snow people, so mm-hmm. we didn't have the gear. Designed. Did
2: you have all the gear? Didn't have gear, but I would love it anyways. Yeah,
3: I got cold cold toes. Ah, yeah. But besides that, I squealed like a small child when yeah. I saw the snow for the first time.
1: Fantastic. Mm-hmm. There you go. Well, absolutely. I'll tell you something. There's just for me, I went to the snow back in when I was in Canberra with my family, and I went skiing. My brother went snowboarding. Now, as a person who, at that time, maybe still does try and outdoes, you know, your brother in everything you do, mm. he went snowboarding, the cool sport. So I was like, I'll go for the elegant sport. So I went skiing. Skiing is quite <laughs> elegant. If it you can is do elegant. Well. If you can do it well. Yeah. Exactly. I was wrapped around multiple trees. Oh, unfortunately. Less elegant. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, if you, if you stack it, um, it's best to just go jello hands when you fall. I didn't know that you actually get less injured: Yeah,
2: more injured if you're trying to. Yeah, if you try trying to like resist
1: <laughs> gravity. Um, but I didn't resist. I went full full Jello and splat. Still, still pretty hurt. <laughs> Not as bad as the the girl who had her like whole leg in a cast on the on the bus back. Oh. So I got lucky. But um, that basically proved to me that uh, anything with a risk of death is always enjoyable. So I've never stopped skiing ever since. <laughs> but um, there you go. All of us love snow. All that summer skiing in Australia. I know, right? There's not enough snow. We need more snow. Um. So, what uh, have we been up to in regards to reading? Now, I don't ask this question very much, but I decided to today. So let's let's put Luke on the spot. And <laughs> oh, great, here we go. <laughs> here we go. It started again. What You're have back I been doing reading. Yes. Well,
2: I've been reading. It's weird because I've 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 never actually bothered to pick up fan fiction before because I think it's crap mostly. But I have been picking up some sort of fan fictiony stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am liking it because it's not most fan fiction you see that tr- the people are trying to use the same characters as have been created and used and and loved by everybody sure. in the world. But this stuff is more like based in the same world with the same ideas and rules and so it's not as it's not um it's not stealing something that's directly used already so it's actually quite it's enjoyable mm-hmm. so yeah some random short stories from out
1: in space nice There you go. interesting i've uh, uh, there's an interesting thing with fan fiction that i notice where char- people put themselves like create the character that is them and put it <laughs> along with their fan favorites and be like and now they're romantically involved somehow or Harry they become Potter's best friends novel, and like yeah. they ride the galaxy together or something like it's always something to do with uh, um, that was my putting yourself fan fiction, yeah. yeah putting yourself into the world right um but it's interesting never had the need to do that but maybe one day we'll see Kate, what have you been reading Oh, I've or got
3: such... No, yeah, not a lot of fan fiction, <laughs> I must say. I must say. That's Sid's name. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. I've got a very a very big pile next to my bed at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the ones I've been reading, The Turner House, Angela Flaunoy, mm-hmm. um, I've just read and really enjoyed that. And Kate Tempest's, um, I never get the name right. The bricks that houses the house that... Bricks that built the houses, that one. Um was fantastic. I mm-hmm. really liked that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh yeah, just getting through a a, a mighty pile, I must yeah. say. I've just started Briony Doyle's um This Island Will Sink, which I'm
1: Yeah yeah,
3: enjoying the start of too. Yes.
1: That I, I really need to get to that as well. Mm. It's been the it's been a big thing uh recently. Um Well if I if I want to get super cheesy, uh I've been reading Skylarking, oh. uh by a certain Kate uh, Mildenhall, I think, that's is the name. That's it. You got it. Um, it's really good. I think you should read that. So that's my plug for the week. Excellent. I don't, I don't do this with every guest, but there you go. Also, I've been, I've been quite bad on my reading pile, so there's not been a lot. I need to catch up some for, uh, for some fan favorites. Some Carl Edward Wagner, read some of his work again. I've got that beautiful collection, and I need to get to it. <laughs> but it just looks so good together. I can't pull a book out and be like read the whole thing so there you go that's that's what i've been up to um fancy collection wasn't it fancy collection yeah Yeah, that's right income worthy fancy collection (laughs) that hurt me um but it makes me feel good in my soul uh so for our news section we have something interesting planned and i hope you enjoy it as well and instead of me muddling up you know what they do and how they do it we decided to invite the founders of books on the railway to give us a rundown of what their initiative is all about. So why don't we let them take it away?
4: Hey, we're Ali. And Mish. And we're the founders of Books on the Rail. And we're here to tell you about how we're
5: getting Melbournians to put down the iPhone and pick up a novel.
4: Books on the Rail is as simple as it sounds. Books traveling around Melbourne trains, trams, and buses waiting to be read. Each of our books has a Books on the Rouse sticker on it, asking
5: people to take a book, read it, and then return it to the train or tram for someone else to enjoy.
4: The idea started when I was working at an ad agency called Leo Burnett in London. One of my co-workers was Holly Belton, and she's actually the founder of Books on the Underground in the UK. I instantly recognised Holly's concept as So Melbourne and decided that when I returned to Melbourne, I would start it here.
5: After Ali approached me to start Books on the Rail, we launched in April by leaving our own books as well as books purchased from secondhand bookstores on Trains and trams. Since then, approximately 200 books have started making their way around Melbourne.
4: We're really hoping to, genera- to generate a conversation, creating a really special community forum where people can connect and share stories and recommend their favourite books. Imagine finding a book that someone in Malvern, Warrnambool and Northgate have all found, read, written a review in the book and then put back on the train for you to find.
5: We also hope to expand our geographical reach and the number of books hitting public transport services. We've been receiving more and more requests for stickers from individuals wishing to distribute their own loved books, which is a great way to expand our network. Hopefully in the future, every time you travel on public transport, you'll spot one of our Books
4: on the Rail books. Since launching, we're so excited to have gained a really serious and passionate following. Now both Australian and international publishers and authors are sending us books to distribute on public transport. Pan Macmillan, HarperCollins, Bloomsbury Publishing, Hachette, Allen & Unwin, Penguin Random House, Echo Publishing, Black Ink... Andrew Griffiths, Monica McKearney, Leanne Mariati, Benjamin Law, Isabel Carmody, Matthew Riley, Marcus Suzak, Alain de Baton, and Catherine Ryan Hyde are among some of the publishers and authors that are on board.
5: If you want to get involved with Books on the Rail, you can visit our website www.booksontherail.com and request stickers to add to your own books. Or, of course, keep your eyes peeled on Melbourne trains, trams, and buses for any of
4: our Books on the Rail books. You can also follow Books on the Rail on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Books on the Rail to find out where and when the books are being dropped. Happy reading!
1: There you go. Sounds like a fantastic initiative, and I hope you guys get involved. Yes, I know, Luke. This was (laughs) done live, and yes, it's pre-recorded. We'll have to deal with it. It's interesting, yes. It's It's interesting. (laughs) All right, let's get into the media section live this time. Um, Luke, start us off. What have you been watching?
2: Okay. Now, you've already told me to do it before the podcast, and I was also going to do it anyways. But uh, I watched something that I didn't think I would ever watch or read, which I didn't read, so it's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still get flack about it from my sister. But I watched Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Now... I don't really know what I was expecting when I went to it. I yeah. I was I was thinking it was going to be completely separate. I heard heard rumors that it was just the same story with just a couple of paragraphs slotted in, which is not what it is at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say one thing: it was way better than Hollywood's other version of Pride and Prejudice. Sick Hang fun, on, which one? Dude. The Kira Knightley one. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. I, <laughs> was there another one?
6: Well, I no, the, the BBC Hollywood version, yeah. 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 BBC yeah. was
2: Obviously. fine. That was absolutely fine. Yeah, great. That was but, that's great. But, but it was better, like than, the on yeah. better <laughs> than the Hollywood Better than the Knightley one. Because it actually used you know, direct quotes from the book. Mm. <laughs> I was yeah. very impressed. It was it was all, all it was strung together with actual quotes from the book. So where do the zombies come in? Around the story. They just sort of surround it. And it's like it's the setting. Instead of the, um, Instead of changing the story structure... They just sort of come in as a setting. They come in as to like the part of a war, which is there's a war happening in the the main story. Anyways, you've got all sorts of soldiers running in and out. Like what was his name, Colonel
0: Willoughby? I never remember
2: the name. Willoughby. That's the one. I think. Was he Colonel? Anyways, there was a Willoughby in Captain there who maybe. stole away one of the daughters, but he was a soldier and he walks in and out. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, nothing. Not not everything's completely the same. It's still Hollywood. Yeah, sure. I'm sure the book was a bit more. I mean, it was *Pride and Prejudice* with zombies, mm-hmm. but I still feel that there was it was more faithful to the story in this one, which was weird. Now it was also curious because only two of the actors in the entire thing I recognized. And mm-hmm. everybody else was, like, completely random people.
1: They are, like, that. that's a really good point. I didn't recognize uh, a lot of the actors. One of them bore a striking resemblance to Neil Rez- Renison, one of <laughs> our guests we had on the podcast, which is hilarious. So I just couldn't get that image actually, out of my Actually, he was head. another
2: one I remembered that an actor too. So yeah. I think uh, he's, yeah. But apart from him,
1: I, I didn't recognize many. And they were all yeah. good. I thought they yeah, all they acted were fine. really well.
2: It was, um, it was good. It was actually quite fascinating because sort of... Uh, Maybe they've been in other films that I haven't seen, mm-hmm. but they all seem like you know people, unknowns who did well.
1: Yeah, there's like there's that a couple. Great. There's like two very small. Uh, they they don't play very large roles, um, but they are they're quite well known. Charles Dance and uh, Lena Lena Hetty. Oh
2: yes, yes. Um, and th- apart the from two, those two, so that's right. The yeah, two who the have two. been in Game of Thrones since the start. Of Game of Thrones. Okay, yeah. one of them isn't. But yeah, but yeah. So it's it's like that. You've you've got like two. Main characters from other things who are playing support characters. Very fascinating idea. Zombie mm-hmm. characters? Or? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, Just right. support characters. Okay. So the father of uh, uh, yeah, the father of the daughter. Yeah, so Mister Bennett. Mister Bennett and, and, um, and who was it? Some aunt? I don't remember what her name is. It's really funny. The patron of the Reverend. Patron. of the Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Can't remember. Her yes. name. No, not a dame. Some that. something. Anyways. Yes. The rich. But, yeah. very so rich. So yes. two well-known people who are support characters. Mm-hmm. and funny, and everyone else is unknown, and it worked out great, um, I'm trying to think of what else I've written down about it, so, I mean, as to as the zombies, I mean, as I mentioned, it was mostly the setup, it was kind of like, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of like a period fiction with supernatural, period fantasy, super, period fantasy fiction, mm-hmm. Supernatural elements that was just kind of weird and cool at the same time. Okay, so I mean they had the whole idea. The whole setup was like um, they've been. You know the, impi- the empire of England has spread out so far, and they've got so much trade, and they brought in a plague with varners. some of the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> try to try to blame the French or something, I think always <laughs> it's always the French. It's always the French. But well, so you French. know, it comes in through the trade, and they get the plague in here, and then now they've like fenced off London, so it's this huge big fortress which <laughs> attack on Titans <laughs> very very um, unusual. So it's all an industrial, sort of as <clears> it, <throat> it as it was in the books, and that's another thing I don't think I've seen is an actual. Zombie story in industrial times. Mm, you see a lot of it in you know modern. Thing. I mean, every zombie story is modern set, yeah. setting. So that's that was another thing that fascinated me.
1: All right. Yeah. So so. We've had the positivity uh, and to bring a sledgehammer to this show. Uh, the the interesting thing is I went in with zero expectations, just like Luke. I expected it to... Actually, I expected it to be good um, because of his recommendation. Uh, but like a lot of things that he recommends me, I it so wounded my heart that oh, no. I took his word for it again. Damn it. Um, but... So I heard about the book, and um, from what I've heard, it's quite good because it takes a very silly approach to the whole zombies, mm. you know. Uh, it, there's, I think there's a last scene where uh, Mr. Darcy and... I always forget her name. Elizabeth. 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 Liz. Um, yeah, Elizabeth Lizzie. and Darcy kiss while murdering a horde of zombies at the end of the story. And there's oh, just something ridiculously beautiful about that idea. Just super silly, and I thought lovely imagine a film about this this is going to be great uh, um the film was interesting well acted i'll keep i'll keep with that statement really good acting um but it was a bit silly without being too silly so there's that awkward silliness where the clown comes the top, in yeah. yeah to the to the serious party like imagine a goth birthday party, and a clown shows up and like you know blows his whistle, and he's like, it's Eat hilarious, some chips, guys. and walks off again. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I guess this is awkward, and like the Kool Aid Man slowly walks out of the the shot. That was how I found the zombies. It was it, it was a bit weird. Um, they took it a bit too seriously.
3: Okay, they took the they, zombies. They took a bit too seriously. too seriously.
1: At the start, it was like, oh, it's hilarious, zombie heads getting blown up while you know, Mister Darcy admires Elizabeth, and he's like, oh, she, she's she got such muscular arms. And it's like, it's funny, right? But at the same time, it's kind of stupid. And I, I did not enjoy the movie at all. It's stupid <laughs> without being too stupid, which yeah, I would which have enjoyed. Which was kind of needing, yeah. See, I think that's what the film suffered from. It didn't know where the tone was. It didn't know whether to go, let's go full silliness like the book did and embrace the absurdity of it, sure. or whether we actually try and string together... You know, a, a plausible narrative, um, which they tried to do, which I, it wasn't my my cup of tea. Yeah, right.
2: I think what redeemed it for me was the fact that Hollywood didn't know how to do Pride and Prejudice. So, oh, this completely completely replaces it for I, me. Yeah, okay. like, I will oh,
1: agree with your comments about <laughs> the Keira Knightley version. BBC okay, did it's it. It's better than that. It's like they, they okay. suddenly found out
2: how to do Pride I and Prejudice. They didn't know how to do the zombies, but they did the prejudice. <laughs> okay. Fine. Yeah.
1: It, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely stick with the BBC when it comes to... To period dramas. Um, but yeah, that's what I thought of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Next pick, Luke. Me. No, it's yes. not me. That's no it. That's, that's all right. Keith. What have you well, done?
3: this is a tricky one for me because, you know, I would love to say that I had been at Myth and seeing mm-hmm. everything there, but I, I I was
1: not. Yes. So Oh, that's me too. Yeah. yeah we all lucked out. Right, with that okay.
3: Oh, that right, that's good. I feel in a safe place then to say yeah. that the last film I saw was the BFG.
1: Uh-huh. Can't with wait the, to hear about it. Yeah, with with <laughs> my
3: good. with my young child, and I was filled with trepidation. I might say mm-hmm. because I am a massive Roldal fan, and I thought that maybe Spielberg might butcher it. Yes, <laughs> and he didn't. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's very mm-hmm. good looking. Um, and the BFG is delightful. The young... I'm not sure of her name, but the newcomer who plays Sophie is delightful. Mm. It probably went a little bit too long. Mm. My five-year-old mm-hmm. was entranced the entire time. Me, not so much. Didn't fall asleep? Towards the end. She didn't fall asleep, no. But, there, you know, there was a little bit. But really good-looking, like, mm. the giant land and mm-hmm. the giants were funny. i I don't know who plays the Queen of England, but she was spot-on delightful and all mm-hmm. of that was fantastic. But... Yeah, so I was ha- I was happy with it, and and the language, the language, like Roald Dahl's language gorgeous. is so delightful. Anyway, that he was dealing with some, yeah, yeah, you know, he he had that down pat. Great. So I liked it.
1: There you go. That's a that's a pretty sterling recommendation. <laughs> and I can't rain on deep. your parade because I haven't seen it. So yeah. I, w- I would like to enjoy the movie as well. So. Mm. He'd also um, like to criticize it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, that's unfair. Well, you Luke. let me know how you I that. I only do that to you. Let's <laughs> no, yeah, be yeah, real. That's true, you that's have true. bad taste. Um, so let's let's move on to something that I didn't want to have bad taste on, which was uh, the Suicide Squad. So I think it's become a, a very interesting internet trend to hate on any attempt DC makes at making a movie, and I say attempt because that's what they have been. Uh, I. The, there was a really good article, I think it was in The Guardian, where it was saying we've got to stop expecting the next DC movie to be good. And being like, Oh but 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 Superman versus Batman's coming, one, yeah. it's gonna save the franchise. Oh, okay. Maybe Suicide Squad okay, Wonder Woman I guess we're just gonna have to do it. Gonna <laughs> have to carry the world on our shoulders. And the thing is, no one film can can really save it at this point. It really needs to have a good string of movies. Um and I think this is a thing that I mentioned about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It didn't know where it wanted to be. It, yeah, right. it didn't know who it wanted to cater for. There's a you know you can hate on superhero movies as much as you like, but you can't deny uh, deny the fact that Marvel is incredibly successful at making films and making them um, viable within a critical sense as well as in a commercial sense. Um, DC, on the other hand, man, Suicide Squad. It could have been. As many people called it, the DC version of Guardians of the Galaxy, um, where it tries something different and hits it out of the park. And again, it was the tone. It was trying to be funny and really injecting so much, trying to kick this franchise up and be like, hey guys, we're not just grim, we're real funny too. Um, yeah. By introducing characters like Harley Quinn and the Joker. And I feel incredibly sorry for Jared Leto's Joker because. One, he's got the monumental burden of living up to Heath Ledger, which no one should expect him to, and I think it's an unfair thing to expect. Um, you should look at a performances uh, in, in its uh, individuality, I suppose. Um, but it's never going to happen on the internet. Uh, and then you have uh, Harley Quinn. Now, the problem is the humor is very... It's just put in there, it feels like the, co- the, the comedic timing is just missing in the movie. Like jokes happen you're like oh that was funny i guess and the joker you only get to see his really extreme moments you don't see any build up so he just ends mm. up looking real edgy instead of actually trying to be a, uh, a funny tragic character mm. the storyline i don't know what the story really was about i guess it was some aztec god that wanted to destroy a american city i suppose yeah, right. um Will Smith was the standout in the movie. This is why I always say never put Will Smith in an ensemble cast because he will just dominate <laughs> yeah, the, the screen with just him being an amazing actor. And so the rest of them just sort of fell off the as. And um, I feel like a lot of people say Harley Quinn was the saving grace of the movie. I, I don't know. I don't feel like she was given her, her time to shine. I think her comedic timing, again, just didn't... Uh, do it for me. Mm. Um, and in the end, I ended up very sad. I, I wasn't upset at the movie. I wasn't entitled to have a better experience than I had. But I think the studio just needs to pull its hands away and just let the writers, let the directors do their job mm. because they're getting too involved. It, it sounds like it from, you know, all the backshatter and everything we're hearing. Um, just let it go. You know, risk a few things and yeah, it's a couple billion dollars but you're losing a lot more. If you don't, for a um, man who
2: wasn't hasn't watched Frozen, you're using those words an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> what words? What do you mean?
1: <coughs> um, it's 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 quite sad, but um, yes, they just they gotta let it go.
6: Yeah,
3: you haven't sold it to me.
1: Yep, it's it's tough. It, it's a tough watch. If you can get through it and and you know accept it for an average movie, then you'll have a good time. I think. Okay. Um. But uh, nothing more than that, sadly. I would say that Marvel's worst performance in the last five years is still better than Suicide Squad, which is. Well, Since awesome. the DC keeps it?
2: doing all these new first Batman stories and stuff like that.
1: Oh man, so the the day we get the start, of the, Batman, get a, the the start d- of the start of the Batman <laughs> <and> the, <start laughs> the, of the day start we of get the, a Batman the, story mm. that doesn't reference his parents' death is the day I just like all right. We've moved on, ladies and gentlemen. It's hilarious. You know, go to somebody in the street and be like, you know, what happens to Batman's parents? I guarantee you people have never read the comics, don't know anything about them. Be like, well, they died. Yeah, every movie is just like, man, my parents died every single movie, as if the audience just doesn't know. And it's sort of that... It's forgetting your audience. It's forgetting you're appealing these films to. You're trying to appeal to a general audience. You're
2: trying to like bring new people in, but you've got the other movies for them to watch too, Yeah, right? exactly. You right? don't have to
1: exclude their idea of them watching those too. So it's this, this forceful origin story that, that mm. gets pushed to us. But Aside from that sadness, um, I, I hope Wonder Woman can, <laughs> can succeed. I think it will. I, I think it will be a good film, but I think it will be one of those films that, just like Ant-Man, it's a great mm. film, but you know it's it's not gonna break storytelling and cinema or anything um and yeah i just really hope d c can can get its creative vision into play so that's me ranting about for the squad for the last ten minutes uh let's move on to the topic um and this uh i mentioned to Kate at the start of this podcast we've been very practical this year we've we've been good practical we've, is good we've, we've we've keeping to the straight and narrow of writing and telling people about first drafting and, you know, approaching characterization and all this kind of thing. Now we're going to get a bit airy-fairy because I can't help myself. And that's talking about why we write. And there's so many things we could say on this, but to bring it in, in perspective, I suppose, let's focus um, the start of the discussion anyway on, on your recent book, sure. um, Skylocking. So... It's based on it's based around the events of a of a true story, um, and you've taken creative license and you know filled in the gaps so to speak. I have. Uh, from from what I know of your history in writing, it's not it's not as if you decided to be a writer the moment you saw the the actual story that was always festering. But why do you think you decided to write the story?
3: It's a good question, and I think. Yeah, that there was an element of wanting to be a writer but I certainly didn't intend to write a novel. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of why I wrote this story, this story really came as a gift. And so in terms of um, coming upon this true story, it was a couple of years ago we were, we were camping and the grave, Harriet's grave was in this campsite where we were. So it was like these little pieces of a puzzle um, kept appearing before me and then I could put those pieces together. So uh, there was there was this grave, there was this um, understanding of the fact that Harriet had a best friend who lived on this Cape, this really isolated piece of the coast in um, New South Wales uh, and that something terrible had happened to them. And I think those little bits of a story you kind of have to investigate like when you get things like that when you get an idea or or a true story like that you kind of have to Mm -hmm. dive deep and find out what's going on there
1: Mm. Mm. so i suppose when when you when you had that that kernel of an idea i suppose it was and, Mm. and bringing it up to be something else um what do you think the purpose is what do you think if you were to philosophize for a moment. Sure. The purpose of the book is, is it to answer a question? Is it to ask a question?
3: I think a little bit of both. I was really curious. Um, One of the things that... I wanted to look at was the fact that the, the story of what happened to these two girls, Kate and Harriet, the true story has, has kind of been reduced to this tiny little paragraph that was on Wikipedia and was kind of on all of the signage around this camping yeah. ground and it was just that and it was sensational and explosive and I was interested in it but there was nothing else to explain what life might have been mm. like for these girls um, growing up together in a tiny little community as best friends coming of age together, but also what might've been the motivation if there, True. if there was motivation. So I, I wanted to speculate on that, I suppose, mm-hmm. kind of work backwards um, through the story and, and see what I, th- I thought happened with the mm-hmm. girls. So that's what I was doing. I was kind of teasing that out, I suppose, but also looking at, at friendship at that period of time yeah. and what's different, what's the same um, memory gaps in memory I I have taught history before so I was interested in that idea of of taking the truth and fiction it really worried me how I was going to approach it yeah and, um, I grappled with that a little bit but that interested me too in looking okay well I know that this part is fact or do I yeah and and what can I do with that
1: yeah interesting um Luke you've you've talked about this uh, a little bit before but it's it's interesting, um, you mentioned, and it's a very good quote, and if you, if you put it on the I back a good of it, quote. you had a good quote, I know, nice. it's, it's hard, um, but you said that you started writing because, see, now I've forgotten the quote, see, oh, okay. I didn't I plan I can, this, I, I, I didn't plan to you. make this sound bad, but mm-hmm. no, it's a good quote, mm-hmm. I need to get it right, but mm-hmm. it was, um, I started writing because I'd finished all the books I enjoyed, and I wanted some more. That's right. There you go. It was a great quote. I was actually um, going to bring that up and you just... See, <laughs> I, just <laughs> took it, I took it away from you. So well, you that is a good it. reason to write. <laughs> <laughs> so you wanted to write more of what you enjoy, Yeah. basically. Now, it's an interesting idea, enjoyment, entertainment. We find ourselves entertained by pieces of media and we look for more of that. At the same time, we look for avenues of interest or intrigue or trying to just get our brains moving. A lot of people look at literature as a learning experience sure. as mm-hmm. much as entertainment. Um So for you, having the primary focus of what you enjoy being then what you write, how do you think you approach that? Like we have very different ways of approaching writing. You know, like you might write something that you might enjoy. I write something that I'm discomforted by or I want to (laughs) think about in an odd fashion, right? So like do you do that? Do you like borrow some of that impetus that I have? Or is it just the idea of I want to write entertaining stories? Like what's that?
2: That's a really weird way to put it. It is a weird Um, way to put it. Trust me to constantly do something of both because it's not just to entertain myself, it's also to. I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons, right? It's Uh because I really want to see these stories and see how they pan out. But there's also it, I don't hesitate, hesitate to say that I want to make my stories moralistic. Mm hmm. But sometimes when you see something in the world which is just, like, annoying you or really, really frustrating, you want to see how it would be dealt with in your world or in your story. You want to see how other characters that you've already created would deal with such things. Mm -hmm. And hopefully somebody will read that as well in the future and say, ah, well, that's at least somebody else's perspective on this. So, I guess, like I said, it's a mixture of of entertainment and um, I think... Not just entertainment. It's also like when when you're when you're creative, you just you have to put something down on paper. Sometimes you can't. Mm. You have to stop and put something on paper, whether it's a story, whether it's an idea. Um, but for me, an idea itself isn't quite enough. Mm-hmm. It always has to go on, which yeah. which kind of means that even small function like like I can't write a short story. I can, but a short story just feels like it's <laughs> missing lots. Yeah, Well,
3: you can't stop yourself. You I can't, can't yeah. stop. Well. <laughs> You have this problem of like I've
2: written short stories <laughs> and uh, it's possible novels. for me to do it, mm-hmm. but I just feel like it's missing all of the extras, all of the all of the stuff that sort of fits into context, all of the mm. everything. Yeah, wow. too much is left out, <laughs> and that's that's what happens to me. So um, i you got that's crazy. To I right? had
3: well, I had absolutely opposite. I'd never written anything larger than a short story. Yeah, and I didn't intend to write a novel, so I, I wrote what was a short story, and then the next chapter was kind of another short story and then it just grew legs and got away from me and i at some point at whatever maybe thirty thousand words i was like oh far out this is a novel oh oh my gosh this is amazing (laughs) but still the the concept i think you have to have real stamina to get all the words down and to even hold it all in your head Mm. like i found that i found that quite difficult to To create a cohesive narrative yeah to Mm. to hold to hold everything in my head um it was difficult because I think there's a pattern to short fiction. Yeah. You know, and you, you get it and there's kind of a rhythm mm-hmm. and you mm. you grow into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so to do something longer was really hard at the start for me to do.
2: Yeah. I think for me, now this is not criticism of short stories, I love a lot of short stories, but for me, a short story feels more like uh, something, more like a wood carving. So it's, it's very small, it has a purpose, and you look at it and it's nice. Mm-hmm. Whereas a novel becomes more of a, like a living, breathing creature. Yeah. That's sort of like, is always there breathing down your neck every yeah. time you're trying to do something. Yeah, you get so much more lost yeah. in the
3: novel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it I also agree. kind
2: of evolves and you see how it changes and stuff goes goes everywhere and and you become attached to it and all that other stuff. Whereas I feel like, for me, for me at least, short stories, I can't get as attached to them. Mm. Because, again, as I said, they're like, they're nice, they're pretty, but they're small, and they Mm -hmm. stop. And they're very kind of like defined, and that's it.
1: (laughs) There's an interesting, um, talking about shots, I was writing one, uh, or rather editing one, Mm -hmm. uh, structurally editing one. And it's interesting to look at the reason, and going back to the idea of why we write something like this. um, For me, like I mentioned, it's questioning. It's the idea of, I want to question, I don't want to get the answer, really. Because once I get the answer, it's kind of dull. Um, or even if that's the real answer. But it's all about just asking questions and constantly challenging yourself to look at things differently and looking at mm. things through um, new lenses in a world that's increasingly getting more black and white. Uh, I think it's good to stop and be like, well, let's look at this issue a bit closely. And, and you know, my my approach is not to just make the next, you know, what is life? It's, it's, it's not that. It's the idea of, I find, like you mentioned, friendship. It, it's a thing that uh, appealed to you. And it, for me, anyway, it felt like it was a theme of the novel. Absolutely. Um, and when, when, I was, when I'm writing these short stories, uh, I think it was Ray Bradbury um, that put words above his desk that had special significance to him. So he would look at those words and he would mm. imbue his short stories with that so it always felt like there was a life to them beyond just the words um, because he had a special connection to them Mm. it was an interesting idea with me like when looking at short stories and you know for a person who was outside of that kind of structure for a very long time and are writing it for the last year or so um it feels to me that i i i was captivated by a novelistic idea of writing a story about monstrosity on the idea of man like the Frankenstein idea but beyond just the physical monster um but and and I put that novel on hold and I was like but I've got these short story ideas that would re- work really well and then that, that that's all that's that's the transition to that but yeah I wanted to explore that idea of mm. man-made monsters and with the hyphen and without the hyphen because I wanted to know what that was about mm. so that was that was my drive you know that's why I wanted to write those short stories how How often do you think a theme drives a story more than the plot itself?
3: Okay. i I think lots of people approach it that way, but i I um certainly for this, I found that the concept of the story um, yep. drove me and mm-hmm. and that was really I don't want to say it was easy because it was not easy, but it mm. was easy in a way to follow yes. that trajectory. I, I knew what was going to happen arc, next. Yeah. Um, I knew what I was writing towards, and that was terrifying. Um, I, I really didn't want to write the kind of scene, which I n- knew what mm. w- was coming, and and I think in part two, I I tried different ways of getting to that, and and that's why I think exploring those themes, yeah, of friendship and um, obsession and jealousy in a way, but yep. also of um, of regret and memory and how we reconfigure our memories to to suit us. Mm. I mean, those things are in your head and I, I read a lot around friendship as a theme and, um, you know, various other texts that had that same kind of um, reflective quality to them looking back over time. But the story is absolutely what drove this and I think that that mm-hmm. meant uh, I kind of didn't uh, angst about it as yeah. much either. There was an urgency that was driving. Mm-hmm. I knew what had to yeah. happen next. I had to get the characters to there and then I had to get them to there. Um and, and always you know <laughs> closer and closer towards this towards this hut so that really yeah. that really helped me that really helped me and i think you know i'm i'm in the very beginning stages of looking at at something new at the moment of a new project and it is something more thematic and and ideas that i want to explore and i'm finding it much harder to get yeah. to get started because you know
1: yeah. where you go there's, yeah, there's so mm.
3: much there's so much that i want to explore there and to get it to get it down to character and place, and and this is the way I want want it to, nut out in terms of a plot, mm. is much harder. So it it was it was great to have that skeleton, which I yeah. I was working around for skylarking mm. too.
2: Are you talking about strong sort of st- structural, a uh, strong structure, or just like something that you knew that you're working with. Well, I or?
3: I knew that that narrative. I knew where I wanted to go. I didn't really know where I was going to end it in terms of time. I didn't know where I was going to begin it Mm -hmm. in terms of time either. So, so that was harder, but I knew, I knew those basics of of what had to happen with the plot. And then it was just a, yeah, it was, it it was a matter of kind of hanging out with the girls on the, on the Cape in my mind. um, And kind of working out where they would be, what would be important, what, what would happen to them. And to try and show some of those um, relationships, you know, like kind of, hit the hit the rocks against each other to see where the sparks were going to fly yeah. a little bit as well. Mm. Some of the, some of the characters absolutely pushed their way in. So, so a lot of them are based on, on the real people from the Capes and George lighthouse, but some of the other characters, the young man, Albert just, you know, he, he kind of just pushed himself in there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he got to stay.
1: <laughs> Luke themes with your writing do you think that drives you what do you think drives you the structure do you want to put a character through the mill the grinder and see where he or she comes out or like what what is that
2: i think for me it's more character related than theme related Mm -hmm. like themes are things that pull me up as something i could probably use but they never sort of drive a story itself from Mm me like i i don't think i could write just about just Based off a theme because I, I, that's not how my yep. mind works somehow, yep. <laughs> but no, themes are something that comes along later in my my um, writing process. Mm-hmm. So it's usually about the character where he's at or where she's at, where where everything around them is at, and then themes sort of tag along as as side effects of the story. Mm.
3: And mm-hmm. sometimes retrospectively, right? Like sometimes I yeah. think even this very early stage of having mm. reader feedback, I'm like, oh yeah, wow, I didn't see I that didn't, one. Oh. Yeah, or I, di- <laughs> I didn't intend it to be read that way, but that's mm. amazing
1: that that's your
3: your take on it. So I think that you know the reader brings a lot in terms of of their thematic reading of it as well.
6: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. When it when it comes to the purpose of writing, when it comes to the idea that what am I putting out there to be read? What do you think? What do you think is it as a writer and you know, I suppose starting out your um career, I suppose. Sure. Uh, in in this idea. Like what do you think that is for you? Like where do you want to be in ten years and be like, did I achieve something in terms of a narrative that I put out that I really thought was a really interesting mm. ingenious idea? Or is it something where it's like, well, I want to put across these thoughts of these ideas. Yeah. Or what, what I think it's think it different.
3: Is? I th- I think it's really multifaceted I think there's an element for for many writers that it is a compulsion. Mm. <laughs> and mm. that there's, you know, the the purpose of it is because you, you couldn't threat. Yeah, you couldn't you not, couldn't do, not it. do it. Yeah. And I think um I didn't write for a long period of time and um and when I came back to it, it was you know, it was yeah. like I was just vomiting onto yeah. the page because mm-hmm. because I really felt while well, this is how I um this is how I make meaning Mm. of the world or how I kind of sort it out, how I nut it out. So there's that element that I think, you know, if, if, if you're a writer, there's some element of you that thinks I can kind of handle anything because I would write it out if I needed Mm -hmm. to, you know, it's like a companion in a way Mm -hmm. that that, that process is a companion. But I think um, I am also a, you know, a, a junkie for audience response and the, the reason that really Skylarking got written was because I, w- I was part of a, a writing course. Mm-hmm. And so my very first forays into this story had immediate feedback from the people in, in you know, yeah. my, my writing class um, and my writing group. So to make people feel is, is what I really want to do in a way too. Not I, I mean to make them think as well, mm-hmm. but as a reader who really likes sobbing or throwing my book across the room or getting very angry, you know, like I want to be moved. Yeah, I want to be moved by the writing and I really enjoy knowing that I can do that for other people as well for readers slightly the manipulation of other people's emotions strong
2: feelings and reactions it's very it's a lot of fun
3: it is fun Mm -hmm. that sounds terrible that makes me sound like a (laughs) terrible (laughs) person (laughs) but it's good (laughs) but it it is fun and cathartic I think you know like I think for for readers that you you know when people say oh my gosh you made me sob I'm like Right. That's Thanks. really good. <laughs>
1: deal, though. Yeah, in an awful way. Yeah. Um, I always, I always say that writers are amateur psychologists, are philosophers, oh. mm. because I think we want to engage uh, emotion. Um, totally. We want to make we want emotion, to manipulate emotion, to manipulate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and rather than a psychologist, you know, drags it out of you and tries to tell you and explain and um, show you what those emotions represent, we yeah. just want to give you those emotions. Yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with, with your writing, Luke, because um, it's very... Um, with, your, with your writing, I always find myself with a, the idea of a journey. Like, your, your books revolve around journeys of characters. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's something that you put in deliberately? Is it something that...
2: That one book, yes. No, I mean, I've
1: seen your your short stories. (laughs) They always involve a character on a journey of some kind, whether it be a physical journey or like, well, it's mostly a physical journey, right? Mm, The characters travel from something and their emotions and who who they are changes to the end of that story. Mm. And, you know, famous stories that involve that are stuff like, you know, Lord of the Rings and um, there's... And then you have the antithesis of that, I suppose, within a physical journey of things like um, um, 1984, which it's, it's not a journey of... It's yeah, all emotional yeah, journey, yeah. Yeah, a breakdown of, of who he is. It's like, why do you think that is? Do you think that you just went in there and put that down because you're like, must have journey, <laughs> a point? Or do you think it just comes?
2: No, that comes to me because I've always been the outsider. Yeah. And that's because I grew up in a culture where there was no one no one was, no one even spoke English mm-hmm. so uh, when, you, when you grow up in a culture where you're at the outsider and then you come back to a culture where you're supposed to be the insider but you have no idea what's going on here, yeah, because you, you sort of have that, this yeah. outsider feeling and it, and it yep. becomes for me, it, that's a lot of my characters, again they're on a journey they're sort of um, they're always finding themselves in places yeah. where they don't know anyone they might, they might care about people there but they don't actually know anyone and so, then, there's a manifestation
1: so of your own journey yeah. in your story. Interesting. And
2: that's something that I hadn't thoroughly realized until now. <laughs> so, that's fascinating. <laughs> there you go.
3: <laughs> I think as a writer, though, you're often in that. out. You either are in the outsider mm. position or you put mm. yourself in there yeah. so that you can more accurately Depink observe. Yeah,
2: observe. If, you, if you can't be at least slightly an outsider, then you're not going to be able to describe it to everyone.
3: Yeah, and you also lack insight. I mean, if you're in there, if you're in the middle of it. Yeah.
2: You know, you can't, you've if you're got normie. no insight <laughs> into into that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it's what you feel about all the sportsman
3: books.
0: <laughs> I feel many things about the sportsman <laughs> books. <laughs> let's not go into them. Just let's not.
1: Because <laughs> um, we might have one on the podcast eventually. Of course, of course. <laughs> of course. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> here Great for Father's not, Day, guys, right? Be here. For what? <laughs> exit the building. Um, but Kate, like, personal connection. What do you think that is? I mentioned Ray Bradbury's words. Um, I really hope that's the real that that is <laughs> the illustration I'm using. But, you know, what do you think those things are for you? Do you think that you do um subconsciously or do you consciously put things in that have significant meaning to you?
3: Um I think that, that certainly you draw on, on your own experiences. And as much as I have tried as much as I found it difficult when people have said, "Oh my gosh, yeah, I see you in that book," I'm like, "No, you, don't. No, That's you not, don't. It's not me. It's not me." So there is that element of going, "No, it's fiction." But of course, you draw on your experiences. Like I've really um, wanted to explore what it was for young women coming of age and mm-hmm. and the kind of experiences, the physical experiences they're going through, the the psychological experiences yep. they're going through as they as they process that those kind of changes Mm. um and of course for that for that element i I draw my experience in terms of um place is really important to me and and i drew on my um experiences and understanding and knowledge of a place that i've spent a lot of time for for this book because it was important that i could kind of just dredge that up you know from the Mm. experience bank in a way when i wanted to when i was writing um so that i could be in there and i think yeah, as I said before, you know, this, this was this, this kind of gift that came at me that I, I didn't ever anticipate writing. And I say that, but then I'm like, yeah, well, of course I was going to write about yeah. friendship. And of course I was going to, stories about young women, um, those kind of 19th century tales, mm. you know, I grew up on that stuff. Yeah. Um, mm. I, I spent a lot of time on the coast. I've spent a lot of time in lighthouses. So, yeah. you know, in a way, yeah. Okay. I knew I was going to write, write a book like mm. this, um, but certainly for the, for, the, for the next thing, yeah, I'm much more interested in teasing out and, and making meaning of some of the things that are important to me at the moment or that I find stressful in the world around me or um, that I'm trying, mm. to, trying to understand a bit as well.
1: I find that with a lot of writers, their first book is that explosion of the soul where they just put <laughs> themselves so much in the book and they, whether realizing it or not. I think a lot of them do. Not all uh, the I stream know. of consciousness. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, almost, but thankfully not. The zen right trip. <laughs> well, you're
3: also not aware. Often, I imagine that there's yeah. going to be an audience for mm, it, yep. and so there is that element. I know a, a number of people said, start writing your next one before it hits <laughs> the shelves, because once this one hits the shelves, you'll be completely aware of an audience. You know, yeah. of what
1: of people who, expect of you. Yeah,
3: and and who an audience is. Whereas I think very much um, with Skylike, I didn't. I could pour my heart into it because I wasn't sure that uh, anyone would ever
1: read it. Yeah.
3: Very glad that someone did. (laughs) Eventually.
1: (laughs) There you go. Um, Themes, Luke. When we talk about the ideas, uh, we discuss about friendship and the idea that was involved in Skylarking, like I I was talking about what drove my my stories of that idea of monstrosity. With your stories, you have a clear idea of where the character is going. You have a clear idea of who that character is. Mm -hmm. But... The interesting thing is we also have setting, and um, Kate mentioned the coast, lighthouses, those kinds of things were already um, indelible on her, so therefore that influenced her. Mm-hmm. I'm just repeating exactly what she just <laughs> said. I don't know why I'm doing that. Um, but with your writing, there's a... The, well, for most part, it's fantasy, mm-hmm. right? And, then, like, the idea behind that is there's always some sort of... Um, mythology to that why is that are you, were you just inspired by mythology do you just enjoy it is there something more to that is it religion like what what goes on why is it always <laughs> that fantasy is an important Some facet kind of mythology or is it just religion. cool to have dragons you know am i overthinking it uh, it's
3: always cool to it's
2: have dragons. It's a, right? it is it is a mixture um certainly but i mean while you were growing up in lighthouses and on beaches, I was growing up in Lord of the Rings and <laughs> and Aragon and all these other books. That, that's where I lived. Yeah. I mean, I've always been like an inside person, like yeah. with the books and with the computers and everything. So, so hence the world. So is that's often kind. Of, that's kind of the world I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You ask me what a beach looks like, I say, well, Lord of the Rings, chapter
1: <laughs> <laughs> glittering. It's <Wagner."> not Bondi. <laughs> yeah.
2: But no, that's so that's I mean that's what I what I feel anyways. The
1: secondary world is more real to you than the secondary
2: world is more real to me in a lot of ways. Yeah. And for me, it also provides stronger stories. Maybe it's because I can't write anything (laughs) in the modern world, but Oh is it
1: because you think think that like the themes don't apply? Like all the connotations we have with reality, when you Cut all that out and make make a secondary rule. Do you think that those might not apply? Is that the reason? No. Okay. All right. I just, I went on a tangent there. No, no, not really. Um,
2: Oh, you can still apply them to modern life, of course. You can still Mm -hmm. apply pretty much any of it. But that's just more like how I see, it's kind of like more how I function and figure out things Mm -hmm. like life as I put it into my head. I drop it through a fantasy cipher, <laughs> and then it comes out in me somehow. It's like nice. those binoculars that you nice. change the focus yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. You think, okay, that that's that's cool.
1: Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, come yeah, out yeah. with dragons on top. I don't know. P- you apply it to a hero's journey module, and then you uh, no, <laughs> uh, no, no.
2: That's the one thing I didn't like about. <laughs> Don't like knowing that structure. They, yeah, too much structure is not story. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Is all that um, kind of fantasy world-building stuff, I, I would find that incredibly intimidating. Is that freeing for you? Absolutely fun. Yeah, wow, well, okay. Fun.
2: I mean, I, I the world that I actually wrote my world-building first world-building is always in, the best part of it. I had started writing for... Well, not four. I had started writing probably 10, 12 years before I wrote the novel. Sure. But... As soon as I'd finished that, Joel's like, do something else. I'm like, okay. So I, I walk off and I, I think for like a month or two, was it? Yeah. And I was like, okay, I've got it. New new world, done. Yeah. Just like that. I, it's not, wow. obviously, there's still holes, but there's always holes in every, every yeah. world, every story. So You don't know everything about everything. <laughs> you don't know anything about But anything. you know enough. Yeah, you know enough. You know, you know what, what you need to know for the stories. Hmm. Yeah. But world it, building is freeing for me because it allows me to... Think of more things. Think widely of like cultures. Put them all in there. Mm. Yeah. Um. You don't have to use historically accurate details, yeah. which is handy. Very yeah. handy. As <laughs> <laughs> the research break in the <laughs> you still, you're still, obviously, you're still drawing on all of this. Yeah. Issues. And I, I, I grew up on Greek history, Roman history, Greek mythology, Roman mythology, True. um, the American history, American. I can't, really, can't really say yeah. mythology, yeah. but <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't have much of the American mythology. Mm. That's that's all American Indian. I don't have that. Self-imposed mythology, but um, <laughs> I'm sure I have self-imposed mythology. Yeah. It's all a huge jumble of everything. So it's it's easier for me to fabricate stuff than mm. try and collate everything that already exists.
3: Mm. Interesting, well, but it
2: also gives me a playground for stories. Yeah. So rather than having to try and think too much about the details of how things are and then piecing together a story I can I can say oh, I know what the playground is I know it's all here now I just need to figure out what happens to the character
3: yeah so and I suppose in a way they're the same they're the same building blocks yeah like yeah. it's world the same building, building blocks, in yeah. fantasy or historical fiction yep. well, however we do it it's the same kind of building blocks that we use and then we as long as it's still logical and it still cohesive. fits together and it's still yeah.
2: contained
1: mm-hmm.
3: yeah yeah. Hmm.
1: there you go we're
3: just the same <laughs> that's <laughs> right <laughs>
1: Tying it all up there. Kate, you should just replace me. I love this whole segue (laughs) thing going on. It's great. All right. Well, we're wrapping up, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to tell you where you can find us, where you can buy our stuff and give us royalties. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's start with Kate. Um, Where can people find you? Where's Skylarking available? Skylarking
3: is available everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm doing a couple of events coming up. With uh, Readings Books, Kill Your Darlings Book Club with Hannah Kent uh, next week. And then Melbourne Writers Festival, which I shall be at with various people. Yeah. And you can find me on all the social medias.
1: Fantastic. Luke, where can people find you? I'm guessing you haven't changed your website while you're furiously scribbling away at that page.
2: (laughs) Not not while I was up in the snowy mountains anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can still find me. At the Soul Shard on Twitter, tweeting about random things like Woolworths posters and incorrect um,
1: grammar. Yeah, fantastic! I love it. always love it.
2: Uh, or on the com.
1: Fantastic!
2: Oh, buy my book, please. It's only one dollar. Come on. There it's you not, go. It's not because it's cheap. It's because I'm not a crazy maniac for money.
1: Quality has got nothing to do with the price, Luke.
2: I was trying to come up with a good quote on the way here, Tell but I can't. Remember. It's that like, it's, at like night.
1: it's not one dollar because it's
2: cheap. It's $1 because, yeah, and then I got lost. I was like, it, <laughs> because I'm not was a, a crazy money-making start. person. It, yeah, you started well there. I you was just... trying to make a wordplay, but then I was like, I don't want to use cheap
1: twice. Yeah. It would sound weird. Anyways, would... yes. Buy my book, please. <laughs> there you go. Buy his book. I'm um, not
2: desperate. Really? Am I? Do yes, don't I
1: Don't buy The Morning Bell because The Morning Bell journals are available free at the moment and you can have a look at them. Themorningbell.com.au. Their annual submission is well, annual, so it will come up at the end of this year. So submissions are still open. If you have short stories that you would like them to consider, definitely apply there, and they're more than willing to check it out. Um, You can also find our podcast archives on there. We had a fantastic episode with Tony Jordan, which was the latest uh, podcast. Well, not the latest. This would be the latest on recording. Never mind. But anyway, the last podcast with Tony, and it was a fantastic episode. Um breaking in the new co-host guest uh, co-host as well so there you go i'm um, giving him the one two <laughs> punch uh, taking luke's position but uh, there's that uh you can find me at the pen of joel on twitter where i tweet about the podcast and kind of nothing else because i'm <laughs> figuring twitter out i guess um and my website thepenofjoel.com where i occasionally blog um thank and you very the much podcast. for listening and the, the i only did the <laughs> annual one I only did the annual one. I'm keeping it podcast free. Um, But thank you very much for listening. We'll see you on the next episode.